Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We want to have the pack of free. I'm your host, Drudy Armin, uh, with Thomas Watts, uh, the producer extraordinaire, uh, getting us running as he always does. And we'll be joined in just a few minutes by William Redfish Barger, uh, co-host on BAMS Radio, the new member of our team, permanent member, I guess you could say. Uh, and uh, it's BAMS Radio moving in a, in, a, in a new direction. We are really excited about uh, what's coming and the changes that we're going to have and uh, we've always had a quality program. We're wanting to take it to the next level. And I know Thomas Watts is with me right now. And, Thomas, uh, I know it's the quote-unquote offseason, about a month out of SEC media days, but still an exciting time. Oh, absolutely. Kids are uh, – the, the 2016 recruits are mostly on campus at this point. You know, the Kendall Hulk Jones thing happened. And uh, we do have one, uh, one recruit in, uh, in Jamar King, unless he has had to pull out at the last second. We'll be talking to him tonight, which will be yeah. I've heard from him. He's looking forward to being on with us at seven thirty, and he's there one of them that's not here yet. But we think he's going to be here in August and should be able to help out the Crimson Tide on the defensive line from Mendocino College in California. He's an interesting story, Thomas, as you know, Absolutely. an older guy who had uh, really been playing some college uh, basketball, but then left school to work and then went back to college and is now twenty six years old and. Uh, in, in a year's time, went from a 250-pound kid to where around 290 pounds, really made a huge jump as a prospect, and now uh, has a chance to uh, sign with the University of Alabama. It's really been kind of fascinating to watch. You don't see too many guys 26 years old uh, in, on the college level, but he's got a chance to continue to chase his dream and, uh, and, and, and most of all, get an education. So, again, uh, looking forward to talking to Jamar and, of course, William Redfish Barger, who always uh, brings great info and insight. And then in hour number two of the program, had a chance on my show Talking Ball earlier this week to sit down in one of the best interviews I've ever had in, in over a year on the air on the show. And it, we, I know her career just ended, but I felt like uh, we needed to bring that conversation to BAM's radio. And that is with one of the two greatest softball players, in my opinion, to ever put on an Alabama uniform. And that center fielder, Haley McClinney, uh, just transcended the sport. She's an Olympian, and it was an honor to have her on uh, Talking Ball. I wanted to bring you that conversation to kick off hour number two. And then 
uh, to end it, of course, you, know, you already kind of talked about it, Thomas. Recruiting rolls on. Alabama's uh, first summer camp just ended this past Wednesday. Going to get a chance to, to uh, talk to John Garcia, who always uh, does a great job for Scout.com and great friend of BAM's radio. Absolutely. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry, I just finished dinner, obviously. Uh, one of the things we're going to start doing a lot more of on the program is if you have a question for a guy like John Garcia or for Jamar yes. King or Redfish, you can hit us up on Twitter. Just I'm monitoring the BAMS radio account. It's at BAMS radio. Uh, also, we do have a call-in number, and callers are going to we're, we're going to – I feel like, and this is my fault as the producer, we didn't push the call-in number enough over the past couple of months. So we're really, really interested in hearing from folks. You know, if you if you see something, if you've got a steaming hot take and uh, you have to – feel free to share it here. I will warn you if it's anti-Alabama, I might drop a Scud missile on your phone. But, you know, <laughs> that's – you know, that's that's – the, the price of doing business on BAMS Radio. So give us a call at 714-510-3707. You would actually get to talk to me because I will be both a, uh, a host and the producer still, so I'll be screening. But also, Drew, I, I didn't have a chance to talk to you about this to you before the show, but I have some really exciting news in terms of the BAMS Radio tailgate. Uh, had a little meeting with uh, Big Head Chuck and uh, Coach Jim Adams. They've been doing a great job with the tailgate while uh, over this past year and we're trying to we're trying to change it a little tweak it a little but still have it and uh we're looking at more potluck style as opposed to big head chuck catering everything you know chuckles it chuck is still absolutely welcome to bring his fantastic barbecue but it's no longer going to be just catered by big head it's going to be more potluck style and We'll be given more information out about that. We're hoping to have it for every home game, but the tailgate is not dead, and we certainly want to give BAMS radio listeners, the BAMS radio community, a spot to gather for college fo- for football games, home football games. Oh, I did forget one thing. I'm sorry I'm going on a little soliloquy, Drew, so just bear with me. I'm trying to handle business before Redfish comes on. As well as asking questions on Twitter, or if you want to call us, we do have a chat room that stays active throughout the program. I keep an eye on it. You're welcome to log in, and if you want to talk to me, I'm actually BamaBird29 in there. I'm not going to change that just as kind of a a harken back or a hat tip to our founder, Greg Calhoun. But there are a lot of ways to get in touch with us, and if you just want to hang out and shoot the breeze there, you're absolutely welcome. Few Few old timers, you know, play like a champion, might pop in, hope to see him. Always a pleasure, but you know, chat room's always open. But Drew, huh? Business done. <laughs> time for fun, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, and ironically, uh, uh, Chad Hancock, uh, play like a champion, just had a chance to have uh, uh, some lunch with him the other day in Huntsville, meet him face to face. Great guy, uh, and uh, it, was, it was good to uh, finally uh, meet him. As you know, he's been a big supporter of uh, Bam's radio throughout. Uh, always listens either live or to the podcast, and is also a member of a, of a Facebook group I'm, uh, that I'm part of, Roll Tide Football, and had been a member of Alabama Intel. And is just a good guy overall, big Crimson Tide fan. And uh, we uh, always appreciate uh, Play Like a Champion supporting us and uh, everything we do. And I know this is not really Bama-related, Thomas, but you and I are both baseball guys too. Uh, the Major League Baseball draft started about an hour ago, and we do have some state news to report and I just tweeted that out on my Twitter feed on Drew D nine seven seven ESPN. But Braxton Garrett, 
the left-handed pitcher and uh, two-time Mr. Baseball from the state of Alabama, uh, Florence High School. Uh, Vanderbilt signee, but they'll never see him pitch an inning as he was selected seventh overall in the first round by the Florida Marlins. Well, um, does he need an understudy? I mean, I, I could I, I could be an 18 year old getting that much money, you know. Yeah, he's gonna he's <laughs> going to get several mil, and um, uh, he had, again he had signed with Vanderbilt, but uh, everybody had him going. All the projections I had seen was that he was going to go uh, in the top 20 picks, and uh, he went even higher than that. He went seventh overall, and I was just listening to some of the uh, analysis, and some even think he's the number one pitching prospect, regardless even though, you know, the Atlanta Braves took the first pitcher in the draft third overall from New York, a high school pitcher. But uh, they uh, they just really uh, – they think that Garrett has the biggest upside. And, you know, in, in baseball draft, more than any of them is a crapshoot. But if you go in the top ten picks, that's pretty uh, special. Absolutely. And uh, you mentioned the Atlanta Braves, and I have to say I had an involuntary twitch because uh, – <laughs> I had the pleasure or maybe the displeasure of going to a game earlier this season and they're just oh. they're just not a good team. They're not any fun to watch. The <laughs> no, new, they're not. The new they, food uh, is good. But go. yeah. The new food's good, but that's about it. You go to the ballpark for the food. You don't go for the baseball. <laughs> no, and uh, that that's what they're kinda of selling right now, that they're trying to retool and uh we'll see what they can do. AJ Puck from Florida who many thought might go first overall, went sixth to the Oakland A's. Uh, so he will be a rich young man as well. So uh, that's uh, kind of your SEC. Oh, and, of course, the number two pick in the draft was the third baseman from Tennessee. Uh, so he went number two overall. So you got to uh, admire uh, these kids, and uh, it's big for them. It's a big day uh, to, to to be a first-round draft pick, and any time uh, you're going to go that high, uh, that's uh, that's pretty big stuff. Oh, absolutely. It'll be a good thing. And, you know, well, we're just kind of bouncing around sports. We will talk Bama, I promise. I have to ask, Drew, uh, Warriors or Cavs, even though the Warriors are up 2-1 right now? Uh, you got you got to like the, the Warriors. I mean, they've got home court. And I know the, the, the problem is, and I sound like a, one of these guys that back in my day, yada, 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 but really <laughs> the NBA is pretty much unwatchable. I mean, when you – it to me, it galls me when I hear people say, well, the board, it's, the, it's the NBA Finals. You're playing for a championship ring, and they're saying the, the Cavaliers have to decide if they want to play hard. Play hard? I, I don't understand it. It's the AAU influence in basketball. People have to decide now if they want to play hard there's on the a, highest level. There, there's a satellite football camp something here. Uh, there, there's, a, there's, a shot, <laughs> there's a shot to be taken about it, but I just I don't feel like sussing it out right now. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't blame you, Thomas. But anyway, I, I, I just, you know, going around, looking, something that I've been reading about, but I have to say I haven't really focused on, what are we looking at? I know Tony Brown competes in the NCAA Track and Field Championships. Yeah. Uh, I believe he competes tomorrow. I've read that somewhere. Mm-hmm. Do, are we looking like – we obviously know he's a very, 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 very good athlete, bad, fast kid. You think he's going to think he's gonna bring something home? You think the team's going to bring something home? I don't think they'll win from what I read the overall championship, but like individual championships, what do you see there? Well, I mean, I, to be honest with you, they, Dan Waters has done a great job of resuscitating the program, and part of what he's done is work with Nick Saban in the football pro and the football team, and then up, upgrade their talent level using Marlon Humphrey, using uh, uh, T- 
Tony Brown, who is doing so well. Uh, and the funny thing is, I know what people are going to ask because he's I, he's facing an NCAA suspension, uh, very likely, uh, for uh, an NCAA related uh, failed drug test. Uh, but and it'll probably end up being six games, but they're appealing it. And people are have asked me why is how can he run the track for if he's under you know that kind of suspension? That's because they're appealing, and that's why he can do that. And I mean he's in the from what I understand he's in the finals for the hurdles uh, in the NCAA finals. He qualified for that. Uh, outstanding job by him. Not surprised because as you know Thomas when he was recruited. Uh, he was known as a world-class Olympic-level uh, track athlete. Certainly. And uh, you have, you know, during his recruitment, it wasn't just Olympic track athlete. It was just freak show athletically, you know. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, cheering for the young man. I, I, I know about, you know, you've mentioned the drug situation, the NCAA suspension thing, and, oh, Oh boy, you know, with on on the on the heels of Maria Sharapova's absurdity, yes. it's like, guys, come on, just. just well, <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things where if it, it, they they get drug tested throughout the year, but if it happens to be a quote unquote NCAA test at, at the site of a bowl game or whatnot, that's where you can get in even more trouble. Yeah, and, and that from what like, I understand, they're appealing how much was in his system. I mean, we'll find out, but. And he is in the he has qualified for the finals, the 110 meter hurdles tomorrow. But again, uh, it's a, it's an unfortunate situation. But un, but as you know, uh, Tony since his first couple of days on campus has not been able to stay on the straight and narrow throughout his uh, tenure. Yeah, I think we've used the phrase a quote unquote blockhead a couple of times <laughs> in this program. Well, he has been, yeah, a little bit, but. You know, best of luck to him. I mean, even, even though he's done some in what I would refer to. Oh, as let me correct something. Yeah, yeah, it is. I want to make. I make, I wanted to double check. It is Friday. Okay, it, the final of the 110 meter is uh, Friday, and also hammer thrower Elias uh, Hank Hankinson. I'm. I probably not the uh, gonna. I'm probably not talk, saying that right. But he finished 12th in the men's hammer throw final during day one of the outdoor track and field championships. And it's in, of course, Eugene, Oregon. Where else would it be? Where well, they love track so much. Where they love track so much. And Phil Knight's money. You know, double Yeah, there you, go. <laughs> there you go. And then, go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I was just going to say, uh, let me go ahead and work on Redfish, if, uh, if you'll just take the show for a second. But, yeah, I, the Tony Brown thing is, is interesting, and I hope it gets sussed out. Wasn't that the... Uh, kind of the, 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 the less covered section of Nick Saban at uh, SEC spring meetings was the drug test problem, or yes. problem in air quotes, if you can just explain that, because I didn't see as much coverage on that over the past uh, weekish. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I think he would like to have it uh, kind of uh, over, just kind of revamped and changed. Um, and, and, you know, uh, and they have, and they try to handle it internally at Alabama. I mean, they they even send you to what is called Club 21 uh, if you have an issue uh, with uh, some uh, failed tests. Um, they uh, they will take you uh, and and try to help you work with that. Uh, and it's usually you know, and it's something that a lot of people. It's the part that doesn't get publicized, and it shouldn't. It's a private matter, but he still tries to help uh, the young people. No doubt about that. And uh, Tony is uh, someone who has had, as we've said, we've talked about issues uh, throughout uh, his, his tenure. And 
I mean, and but he's far from the only one. They've they've had several uh, that have had a few issues uh, with uh, substance abuse, and Coach Saban tries to help those guys. And I think you know he he would probably want he he would like the NCAA to tweak their policies because uh, it, it's a, they they hold the hammer. I mean, if you funk one test, you get like a six game suspension, uh, depending on your past. If you in the transgression, you can be like Robbie Green. You can be suspended a whole year, or if it's a, a supplement, what they consider a, a performance enhancer, it is a whole year as soon as you uh, fail. And and that's the the way it works sometimes. A little bit uh, a little bit uh, harsh, uh, but that's just the way the NCAA operates. But I do kind of understand the performance enhancing issue because there's tried there's been so much education uh, on that and 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 those things uh, that you should uh, be able. Uh, to uh, know what you're thinking, like uh, over the counter, that, that you just you can't. Yeah, there's you know, there's so many things now to educate you and help you. You should not uh, be have to uh, face a suspension for a performance enhancer. And the old adage is always, "Well, I didn't know what the you know what I was taking." Well, you've got to educate yourself before you put anything in your system. You got to do your homework. Oh yeah, and the uh, the the Florida quarterback who is now transferred stands up. Yes, is, is West wave, Virginia, <laughs> wa- waving in the background, saying, "Yes, that should have happened." But you yeah, know, Drew, absolutely. It, it's it's time for the weekly segment. You know, seri- real serious football talk. Hashtag with uh, William Redfish Bardrum to go in and make him live. William, how you doing this evening, buddy? Doing great, guys, and I, I kind of wanted to piggyback about something that y'all were talking about when you brought me in. Um, you know, when you're talking about, you know, these NCAA drug tests, um, I heard y'all talking about Will Greer, the former Florida quarterback, and, and I right. think the listeners, the listeners all need to know, um, he was suspended initially over uh, failing a, a drug, NCAA drug test for a performance-enhancing substance. I don't know. You know, if it was testosterone or, you know, a more, uh, uh, you know, on the street level steroid substance, but that's what it was. But what he was actually dismissed from the University of Florida over is after he started serving that suspension, uh, he went over to uh, Fraternity Row and uh, started hmm. drowning his sorrows and tested positive Uh-oh. for cocaine. And that's what he was ultimately dismissed from Florida from was a positive test for cocaine on top of, you know, the testosterone substance initially with the NCAA. And, uh, and then we, we know, we now know he will be uh, going to West Virginia, but even when he's eligible, he still must serve uh, that suspension. Correct. Yeah. And so he, he kind of was his own worst enemy because he finally got rolling under coach McElwain and, Played that outstanding game against Ole Miss, and that was the last game you'll ever see him in a Florida Gator uniform. No question Correct. about that. But, but William, I know uh, uh, now that we bring you on, you've always got your ear to the ground, and we'll talk about it also with John Garcia. But it's always interesting when camp season starts and uh, the Alabama coaching staff starts getting these young men in front of them to evaluate. And, of course, as we've seen uh, with the – uh, with Mac Jones committing the second quarterback uh, from the Bowles School in Jacksonville, Florida, he has now committed and flipped from Kentucky. Uh, we've and we've also seen, to no one's surprise, Elliott Baker, the junior college offensive tackle, commit 
and there's buzz coming out about several kids that seem to be moving, as you would quote-unquote say, up the board. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the the Mac Jones commitment, um, you know, certainly caught me by surprise. You know, I kind of feel like, um, you know, they they took his commitment on, you know, for two different reasons. Number one, uh, you know, it's an insurance policy. Uh, you know, in case Tua gets cold feet about going halfway around the world to play his college football from Hawaii to the state of Alabama. Uh, but also, number two, um, I think what it signifies is they fully expect um, at least one and probably two quarterbacks to depart uh, the program in January after the 2016 season is over with. And, uh, you know, certainly everybody can kind of speculate on, on who those two guys are going to be. I've got my my own thoughts on the subject. But, you know, I, I really don't like to, um, you know, speculate because that comes across as, you know, negative stuff about, you know, kids that are still in the program and, and you know, busting their ass to be a part of, of the process in the Alabama program. But certainly, um, you know, it's common sense that, you know, Alabama is not going to go into spring practice in 2017 with six scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. You know, they just can't afford to do that from a number standpoint. Um, And, you know, go ahead, Greg. No, I was just going to say, you know, when we have a question from our chat room and uh, Twitter, and it's it's a valid one. Uh, because a lot of people had speculated, William, I, I was a little bit surprised like yourself uh, that they took another a second quarterback in this class. I thought they may do it in 2018, but as you said, they, it's a number situation. They, I think they do feel like uh, two of those four currently on the roster uh, will depart uh, by the end of this coming season. Uh, but then they wanted to know, does it affect Jack West in 2018? I don't think it affects him at all. I've already heard Jack West, uh, or at least read an interview with him, he doesn't. He didn't. He wasn't affected at all. He he got to know Tua at camp. Came to camp at Alabama. He knows Mac Jones, but he also knows, as he said, there's competition everywhere. It looks like an Alabama Stanford battle for Jack West. And I will say this: taking two this year, and unless three of them depart, I don't think they'll take two in 2018. But we'll just have to see. Yeah, and I guess Drew, that's kind of the same way that that I absorbed it as well. Um, you know, a um, I'm glad that the coaching staff w- was up front with Tua um, before they did it because it, it looks like, you know, he was on board and was aware of it. Obviously, I mean, he's the he's the alpha guy at that position in this class. Um, you know, you saw the performance that he, you know, he laid out on the field um, last weekend out in California at the Elite 11 camp. A lot of, uh, you know, guys that get paid good money to evaluate that stuff felt like he was the best quarterback out there. Um, and I think that's a, a great testament to that young man. Um, you know, if you read the article um, about the interaction that he had, uh, you know, the Super Bowl winning quarterback and the guy that kind of heads that Elite 11 camp up, Trent Dilfer, um, and kind of the, you know, the marching orders that he gave to after the regional event before he went to the finals. Um, you know, he's now on the record saying he's never seen a high school quarterback make that much improvement, uh, you know, in a two-week time span. You know, he kind of gave, you know, to a list of things that he needed to improve on when he left the regional event. And, uh, you know, he did it and, and, and did it and passed it with flying colors. Um, you know, that being said, 
um, you know, taking two quarterbacks in this class. Um, you know, if if I was, you know, Jack West's father, um, it would kind of give me a little bit of pause, especially when you consider, um, you know, that him and, and the uh, uh, wide receiver from Phoenix City next year are going to be the two, you know, most highly recruited kids in the state of Alabama next year. Both of them can go to any school in the country that they want to. You know, it would give me a little bit of a pause, but I think with the fact that they were so upfront with Tua's family um, about taking Mac Jones, I'm sure they were upfront with him. Um, and, and I agree, you know, Stanford certainly is a legitimate threat. Anytime you've got a, you know, a prospect in any position um, that has the grades and the test score to get into Stanford, um, you have to certainly worry about them. Um, you know, they've taken a couple of really, really elite tight ends um, in the last three or four years away from Alabama that have gone out there. Uh, the most recent one being Greg Taboda from Georgia two or three years ago. Um, you know, that, that's a very tough, um, you know, marketing pitch turned down. You know, you got the opportunity to go out there and get a Stanford degree. You know, uh, the head coach out there has them playing, in my opinion, at a higher level than, than Jim Harbaugh had that program playing. Um, so, you know, that's certainly something to put in the back of your mind. But, you know, Jack West grew up an Alabama fan, and I think as long as the family is comfortable with what's going on, uh, you know, certainly uh, two quarterbacks on campus jettisoning out of the program in January, um, you know, would knock that number down to four and would make that quarterback depth chart a little bit more attractive to Jack West and his family. Um, but, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch how it all unfolds, Drew. We've, we've had numerous conversations in private, um, you know, about how we see this quarterback battle shaping up in August. And, uh, you know, I think any, um, you know, Alabama fan with a decent football IQ can probably figure out, um, you know, who the two guys are going to be in January to get gone. And it's obvious that the Alabama coaching staff um, sees that, you know, in the same light, and they've already prepared for it. And, you know, it, it, on another hand, if you look at, you know, them taking Mac Jones, um, you know, he's playing at a very high-profile high school program in Florida. Um, he's got two guys, um, a five-star defensive back in Sean Wade and a four-star wide receiver um, and D.J. Matthews. Wade's committed to Ohio State. Um, we've talked about him on the show before. Um, you know, with his family connection to the state of Alabama, he's obviously a very, uh, you know, good candidate to flip to Alabama later in the process. And, uh, you know, D.J. Matthews is a four-star wide receiver that's currently committed to Florida State. And, you know, if Alabama misses out on, uh, you know, one of their guys in that wide receiver, um, you know, big recruiting board, um, you know, with the Smith kid from Louisiana, Nico Collins and Henry Ruggs from Alabama, um, you know, even a Jerry Judy or even a Jeff Thomas up in, in St. Louis. Um, he, he's certainly a guy that, you know, Alabama could turn to and make a move on. And, you know, having your quarterback that you've worked with for the last four years in high school uh, already being set in stone at a college football program, uh, you, you don't want to say that it would be easy but it would certainly help expedite the process of getting somebody like him to, you know, to flip from Florida State, which Alabama's already shown um, in this recruiting class they're capable of doing. 
Um, they've already flipped a one-time Florida State commitment in the elite edge rusher, Vandarius Cowan. Yeah, they really have. And uh, and uh, one other thing, too, uh, William, that needs to be uh, uh, talked about is you talked about them stealing the uh, tight end from Texas from Alabama. They did it again this year with Caden Smith. And he had a sister uh, that was a, yep. a cheerleader, I think, for the Tide. Yep. And, and you know, Drew, it's, yep, it's a tough proposition. I mean, uh, you know, if you go out there and, and you know, God knows, um, you know, Stanford is one of the few schools, um, you know, outside of Vanderbilt, Notre Dame, and, and maybe even a Georgia Tech to a certain extent that, that does have academic standards in place four incoming football players that go above and beyond, you know, the NCAA minimum of an 18 on the ACT and a, and a 2.5 GPA. Um, you know, if you want to go to Stanford, the ACT doesn't even count. You've got to spend the money and take the uh, the LSAT. Um, yeah. But, but again, it, you know, if you have that opportunity presented to you, um, it's certainly something that you have to look at. Um, it's one of the most beautiful scenic places in the country, um, you know, to go play college football. Um, you know, they're they're right out there in the you know the technology bracket of California. Um, you know, where, where the Googles and and all those you know technology companies kind of you know birth themselves from. So you know, you can't fault a kid if they get the opportunity and they have the grades. You know, we just got through watching a a five star wide receiver from the state of Georgia and Demetrius Robinson, you know, kind of drag everybody down the road, um, you know, as far as they could, almost into the, you know, the month of May post-National Signing Day when he was waiting to see um, if, he, if he could get into their entrance exams. Um, so, you know, it's something to always watch. But, uh, you know, I don't ever fault a kid if they've got the opportunity to go out there and get that education and plus play big-time college football. Absolutely, uh, you can't uh, fault them. I mean, Stanford is a world-class university, and and as you probably know, William Jack West has a four-five GPA, uh, and I'm his, I don't know if he's taken the test yet, but I'm sure he will knock it out of the park. He'll have the academics to get into Stanford, and and they don't. And the thing about they, they don't pull a lot, a lot of uh, they don't they don't give the uh, the the uh, football program and uh, Coach Shaw they they don't. They don't uh, have many concessions as far as uh, in their when their entrance requirements. You have to have the academics to get into Stanford. Yep, and you know we we've talked about them before, and, and obviously uh, I think that's what makes it a little bit intriguing. Um, and, you know, I think it probably makes you know Alabama fans nervous because you know the last time in recent memory that that Nick Saban chose to take two quarterbacks in the same class. You know, it turned out to be Cooper Bateman and Parker McLeod. Um, you know, Parker McLeod washed out of the program, uh, you know, inside of two years. Um, you know, Cooper Bateman's been on campus for three years and, you know, has that one start versus Ole Miss. Um, and, you know, that was under the, uh, you know, the former offensive coordinator, Doug Nussmeyer, not Lane Kiffin. And, and I do think that Lane Kiffin, um, on top of, uh, you know, putting Alabama's offense into the next level of college football offenses, you know, when you've got somebody that can kind of do the, you know, the combo hurry-up offense, no huddle, 
and, and kind of combined it with a pro-style attack. You know, he's not only done a great job with that, but also I think he's really taken um, what was, you know, the Nick Saban regime um, at Alabama since 2007, their biggest weak spot. Um, he, he's kind of taken the quarterback evaluations to the next level too. Yeah, he really has. They've really started to design elite players at the position you've already talked about, uh, Tua, uh, Tago Vailoa. I mean, he did an outstanding job at the Elite 11, uh, and he's now been invited to the what is considered the finals, quote-unquote, uh, at the opening in Oregon. No shock there. And many, as you've already told the, uh, uh, the listeners, he improved uh, dramatically, as Trent Dilfer said, more than any kid he's seen in just a few weeks' time when he went back to Hawaii with his father to work on things and just absolutely destroyed the seven-on-seven aspect this past weekend and probably would have been the number one prospect there. Yeah, Drew, you know, there's there's a lot of whispers. Um, you know, I don't personally talk to them, but I've got some friends in the business, uh, you know, that talk to a lot of the, you know, the national level. Now, you're not, not home board moderators, but, you know, guys that are – you know, working for 247 Rivals and Scout on the national level that were all out there at the Elite 11 camp. And, and, you know, uh, the majority of them are going back to their bosses after what they saw Tua do, um, you know, at the Elite 11 camp this past weekend. And they're going to make the recommendation and push them for five-star status. And, uh, you know, that that's a huge, uh, um, you know, kind of, you know, reward to put on that kid. But, you know, I think he put the work in. Um, he came to Alabama's camp, you know, on a on a red-eye flight after doing that um, and, and bonded with everybody on campus, you know, guys like Alex Leatherwood, Najee Harris, people that have been in the fold for Alabama for over a year and, uh, you know, kind of got the, you know, the field general leader, you know, moniker put on his shoulders. And, uh, you know, just has really blown away the Alabama coaching staff, uh, you know, with what he can do. I mean, he's a dual-threat guy. Um, You know, I I really do. I compare him very favorably to Jalen Hurts. He's got a lot of the same attributes. Uh, You know, hair trigger release. Uh, He gets the ball out of his hand very quickly, which is one of the things that Lane Kiffin looks for. Um, He's got a, a laser arm. He can fit the ball into tight windows. And, uh, you know, it was really, uh, you know, good for me, at least, as an Alabama fan, to see the, you know, the videos that people tweeted out, um, you know, of him working with Lane Kiffin at the camp, um, you know, the early part of this week and and throwing some passes to Najee Harris, um, who I think is the best high school running back prospect, um, you know, to come out of high school since Adrian Peterson. I mean, if this guy sticks – uh, you know, based on, you know, that the offensive line that Mario Cristobal has pieced together over the last three years. Um, you can put me down, and if it doesn't happen, I'll be the first person to come back on this show and say I was wrong. But if Najee Harris shows up at Alabama either in January um, or this time next year in May, he will be the third Heisman Trophy winning running back to Nick Saban's coach. Did we lose Redfish? Sorry, I'm trying. No, I'm, I'm here. still efforting I'm here, to get. Okay, sorry, I'm still efforting to get Jamar King. We're we're having some uh, some crossed wires and some gerbils are not cooperating to power the whole <laughs> I station. Got you. 
But, you know, Fish, I did have a question, and I, I don't mean – I want to go to the other side of the ball real quick. I know we covered this a little last week, but now that Kendall Holt-Jones is no longer enrolling, and if you've already covered this, I apologize, does that change the defensive line recruiting priorities moving forward? Because obviously he was a true nose or would have started out at least as a true nose. You know, Thomas, you know, I'm not Nick Saban, I'm not Carl Dunbar, and I'm not Jeremy Pruitt, but – if you ask me my opinion, I don't think it changes anything. Um, and I would be willing to guess um, out of those three guys that I just mentioned, I think I know one of those guys very, very well on a personal level. And he's probably breathing a sigh of relief. Um, I think, you know, college football has progressed to the point that, you know, Nick Saban, you know, you've seen him morph. Um you know, since the Johnny Menzel Texas A&M game in 2012, um, you know, where he has to deal with, um, you know, hurry up, no huddle, dual threat, spread quarterbacks. You know, Johnny Menzel, Nick Marshall, um, you know, what you saw happen uh, when Deshaun Watson kind of did as he pleased for, for three and a half quarters before they finally slowed him down. And I just don't think that there is a place – today in college football in the Southeastern Conference for a zero technique nose guard, um, you know, that that's six foot five, you know, and that, you know, flirted with the four hundred pound range. Um, you know, you're only gonna use somebody like that. Um, if you look at Alabama's schedule in two thousand and sixteen, the only games he's gonna play in are Arkansas, L S U, Tennessee and Auburn. Um, so, you know, do you really want to burn a scholarship on, on somebody like that? You know, if you go back, Thomas, and watch that Clemson game, you know, Ashawn Robinson and Jaron Reed, you know, two of the best college defensive linemen um, that have played for Nick Saban at Alabama were totally ineffective against Deshaun Watson. So, you know, what I think they're looking for going forward are, you know, guys like Deron Payne, um, but you can certainly, you know, put it nose guard and anchor him down. But, but you know, he's got some Marcel Darius, you know, quick twitch ability where you can put him at nose guard, defensive tackle, defensive end. Um, you know, more like a guy like Jonathan Allen and Deshaun Hand, uh, even a Dalvin Tomlinson. It's, it's just gotten to the point now with these offenses that, you know, you, you just can't afford to take a – uh, you know, a Terrence Cody or a Josh Chapman um, or, or a Kendall Jones um, and, and burn a scholarship on a zero technique nose guard. You're just not going to be able to utilize somebody that much, you know, week in and week out in the SEC versus these, you know, high-profile, high-speed offenses, you know, and the teams that you face that are, you know, running those, that, that have the mentality of, you know, guess what? Our defense isn't worth a damn, but we're going to outscore you. Well, the, we're, well, the Gus Malzahn school of thought has uh, put Auburn in its spot, I guess. <laughs> but, no. No, uh, that, that, and again, you know, I didn't bring him up, but I think that's a great comparison. And, you know, if you look at that situation, and, you know, I get this a lot from, from friends of mine that are Auburn fans. They're like, you know, you hate Auburn. And, you know, my response to them is, no, I do not. Um, you know, I've never been a guy that's, you know, SEC, SEC when, you know, we play a team 
uh, you know, out of the league. But I've always been a huge fan. Uh, you know, I was committed to Auburn my senior year in high school. Um, you know, and if we hadn't won the national championship in 92, that would have been my biggest regret in life is, is not going to play, uh, you know, for a kindred spirit of mine and Pat Dye. Um, and, you know, that was always the hallmark of, of that Auburn football program, um, whether they had Bo Jackson, um, you know, or Stan White at quarterback throwing the ball all over the place, is that defense for Auburn was a salty, tough, you know, out. And I think they had that, you know, from the Pat Dyer all the way up until probably the year or two before Tommy Tuberville got fired. Um, you know, when they had Will Muschamp as their D.C. Um, the first time. And, you know, I don't hate all, but I hate Gus Malzahn and what he's done and people like him, Art Bryles, uh, Chad Morris, you know, these gimmicky former high school coaches that have, have gotten big jobs before they actually proved they were ready to get them. And, you know, what Gus Malzahn has done um, you know, going all the way back to when he was Gene Chizik's offensive coordinator, is he's killed that spirit that used to be what was fun to watch with Auburn. Is you know when they had those great defensive linemen, you know those those linebackers. You know the SEC is a line of scrimmage league, and you know those guys used to do a, just as good a job as anybody of, of having an elite front seven, and he's killed that. And I hate to watch it. I really do. I hate watching those kind of football games. And William, uh, I, I understand. I, I I completely agree with you. Uh, you can, I, to me, you can't win a championship running offense like that because you're not good enough on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you just don't. You, you you're too worried about the offensive side. You, you first of all, you tire out your defense because of how many snaps they have to play. Nick Saban was even talking about that. When this, he he always terms it as fastball. When even they did some up tempo stuff in 2014, he felt like his defense eventually wore down as the season uh, uh, went on. You, you shouldn't be having to play a hundred snaps of defense. And again, they it also circumvents the rules because of illegal men downfield. The Auburn fans don't want to hear that, and then the uh, the Baylor's and uh, and SMU's and the people of that ilk. But it is the truth. I know they it, what it, what it says is. They all used to call it the equalizer. It, yeah, it's the equalizer for coaches that aren't as uh, good at Nick Saban as recru in recruiting and don't want to work as hard, and, in my opinion, and don't want to grind and get the best players available. They don't have as much talent, so they have to do what they, to, they have to to win. But I also think it's much like the run and shoot. It's a, it is a gimmick, and I don't think it's going to last. I think eventually, uh, the, as Jeff Nicholas of uh, Tide fan said one time, and this is one thing I completely agree with. The one uh, thing over time that never disappears is the eye formation offensively and pro style attacks. Well, you know, Drew, I'll put it into a, you know a much more simplistic uh, perspective than that. You know, re hit the rewind button to the end of the 2013 season, and there were two fan bases in college football that were scared absolutely to death that their head coaches were going to get gobbled up by the NFL. And that was Gus Malzahn at Auburn and Kevin Sumlin at Texas A&M. And <laughs> if you joke. look at, yeah, and if you look at, you know, going into the 2016 season, 
that that you know there's there's two head coaches in this league that are probably got the hottest seats underneath their buttocks. It's Gus Malzahn and, and, and Kevin Sumlin. Um, you know, Texas A&M didn't spend a half of a billion dollars two years ago to expand Kyle Field and build one of the most gorgeous football complexes I've ever seen, you know, to have him lose four or five games a year. And, mm-hmm. you know, you saw, you saw the quarterback departures after last season. Um, you know, I think they're a hot mess out there. Um, you know, I've had two personal friends of mine, um, you know, that have worked for Gus Malzahn. And, you know, they, they were at different times. Uh, you know, one left before the other one got there, but the, the second one had the same thing to say. And, you know, it, it's just, you know, I, I kind of get, you know, a little bit of a giggle out of this deal. Um, you know, my Auburn friends think that, and don't get me wrong, and I think they've had this kind of talent uh, ever since Gus Melzahn got there, you know, in, in the winter of 2013. Uh, you know, they've had more than enough talent for Ellis Johnson to field a decent defense. Um, they had more than enough talent last year with Will Muschamp, and certainly um, I think during the month of November you kind of saw him putting the pieces together um, to put a pretty salty defense on the field. But, you know, they've, they've signed, I think, it's like seven five-star players um, on defense since Gus Malzahn's been there. And, you know, Rodney Garner hasn't developed them. I'm uh, talking about Montrevious Adams. Uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, I think Carl Lawson is a very, very good college football player when he's healthy. Um, but, it's, unfortunately, he's got Brody Kroll's body and stays hurt. Uh, you know, last year they brought in the most overrated number one player in the country, in my opinion, in Byron Cowart. Uh, you know, when you look out there um, in late November and you see a guy in Jake Coker, um, you know, shake both of those guys down. I'm talking about Carl Lawson and Byron Cowart, uh, you know, on the touchdown pass that he threw to our Darius Stewart in the back of the end zone. You're like, you know, I mean, are these guys legit? Can they play in space? You know, if Jake Coker's making them look this bad, what's Deshaun Watson going to do to them? Um, but I yeah. really do. I, I think, I think you know, for the if there are Auburn fans listening, you know, call me a hater if you want to. I'm not hating on Auburn. Um, I've always appreciated and respected what they've been able to do, uh, you know, in the shadows of – probably the greatest college football program in the history of college football. If you look at the Bear Bryant, you know, Nick Saban there is. Um, but, you know, what this guy has done, it, he's totally unraveled that. And if Will Muschamp wasn't able to piece it together, you know, well, what do they expect out of Kevin Steele? You know, this guy's falling on his face everywhere he's been. Um, I think the most, you know, comical off-season thing last year was, you know, LSU was looking for every reason in the world to dump Kevin Steele. Uh, you know, they wanted to go hire somebody else not named Kevin Steele. You know, Auburn scoops him up, pays him, a, you know, a million three a year. LSU doesn't have to pay his buyout, and they get to go hire Dave Aranda from Wisconsin. <laughs> and I think they're much happier about it. Um, no disrespect I, I, to Auburn, but you're 100% – uh, correct in what you're thinking. 
I was shocked that Auburn hired Kevin Steele. I think it's just another case of them, uh, much like they did with Will Muschamp, and he gets a head coaching job in a year. They continue to try to uh, emulate what Nick Saban has done. But Will Muschamp's uh, resume is a lot better than Kevin Steele's. Still has been a good position coach in the past, uh, but he's never put together consistently good defenses as a coordinator. Dabo had to uh, make the change uh, in order to save himself and 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 uh, and, uh, and dismiss Steele. And a good friend of mine in the media made a great point the other day. If it wasn't for Nick Saban hiring him a couple of times, he's made Kevin Steele a lot of money. Yeah, you know, and Drew, the, the way I look at it is, you know, I've had a chance to interact with Kevin Steele on numerous occasions. And, you know, going all the way back to when I was being recruited in high school, he was the, right. uh, the linebackers coach at Tennessee under Johnny Majors. And, I mean, that was an all-star staff. I mean, you know, uh, Phil Fulmer was the offensive line coach. David Cutcliffe, uh, you know, was the tight ends coach. Um, Walt Harris was the quarterback's coach who went on to be the head coach at a small school out in California. Um, You know, Ken Donahue, the former, you know, great defensive coordinator at Alabama that Ray Perkins fired, um, you know, was the D-line coach. That's who actually recruited me. Um, But, you know, I'll say this about Kevin Steele. I mean, he's a a C-plus defensive coordinator. He's an elite linebackers coach. He's a pretty decent recruiter, but, you know, he is not the guy that you want to invite into your den if you're fighting Hmm. for your job. And, you know, that's what Gus Malzahn has done, Drew. And, you know, I think it's an interesting situation. You know, when you look at what Jay Jacobs has done, uh, you know, giving Gus Malzahn, uh, you know, a contract extension, um, giving him a raise, you know, let, let's just say that they, you know, and I don't think this is possible. Me personally, I think Auburn's going to win six or seven ball games this year. And, you know, if that happens, Gus is safe. But, you know, they've got that, you know, depending on how you look at it, you know, that eight to 12 million buyout deal, um, right. depending on how this contract extension works out with Gus. You know, let's just say that he has a Gene Chizik year this year. Um, you know, like Chiswick did in 2012, and they only went three or four ball games. You know, they're they're not going to fire Gus Malzahn. They're not going to give him $12 million to hit the road. And so I think, you think that's very uh, unfortunate. I'm sorry. No, no, what, what I'm going to say is, and, and this isn't going to be a very popular thing to say with Alabama fans, but, you right. know, God bless Jay Jacobs because, you know, this guy's this guy's so – you know, inadequate at what he does, he makes Mal Moore, you know, pre-Nick Saban 2007 look like a genius. <laughs> well, I was going to say, because uh, that's surprising, you're saying even if Gus wins just seven, you think he'll be back. I felt like he might need to win eight or nine to return, but you're no, right. They did give him a one-year ex- extension, and it would be $12 million. The only way I see them pulling the plug on Gus is if he gets blown out by LSU, Georgia, and Alabama, then I can go ahead and tell you, Kirby's not going to do good enough at Georgia this year to blow him out. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think, I think you know, they've got such good players on the defensive line, and they've got some depth. You know, they kind of remind me of, if, if Garner can actually get – um, you know, all those guys to play at a high level, they kind of remind me of the depth that Alabama had last year on the D-line. 
But, you know, unless they get blown out, um, you know, by LSU, Georgia, and Alabama, and if Alabama wasn't capable of blowing them out last year with what they had on both sides of the ball, they're not going to do it this year. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. they're going to win. You know, I think both Mississippi schools are going to go backwards. I think Arkansas is going to go backwards. You know, A&M is, is a, you know, kind of a toss-up. But, uh, you know, they, what you're going to see is, I think what you're going to see out of Auburn is they're going to hit the rewind button on October the 1st. You know, they open with right. Uh Two weeks later, they've got LSU. And then a week I've after that, their, they got Texas A&M. I've got their schedule pulled up. They, it's at, you had them flipped. They go Clemson, gimme at Arkansas State versus Texas A&M versus LSU. Then they go La Monroe at State by versus Arkansas at Ole Miss versus Vanderbilt. Count that as a win. And then they close with at Georgia, Alabama A&M. That's a gimme. And then at Alabama. So it's a daunting hey, schedule, Thomas. particularly – Go ahead. Hey Thomas, let me let me just explain something to you here real quick, and, and I'm probably going to oh, get boy. you know blasted <laughs> as being the the biggest bammer homer on this radio show. Uh, Vanderbilt, as a football program historically, only has mm-hmm. a winning record against one other SEC program. You know who that is? Given the topic of conversation, I'm going to guess Auburn, but that's a total guess. <laughs> Gus Malzahn and the Auburn Tigers have an opportunity this year to take that record from a losing record to a 500 record versus Vanderbilt. You know, great information and great trivia. You know, if if that if that makes it on an Alabama trivia forum, I, I am making the I'm making whoever said that listen to our entire show. I'm going to make yeah. it happen. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, uh, if there are Auburn fans listening to the show, I, I don't want them to think that I'm sitting here, you know, banging on Auburn. I do. I mean, I think they've had, you know, if you look at what Gus did in 2013, um, you know, they, they, you know, and they did have some luck to get to where they did. But every program, in my opinion, um, has, has, you know, positive bounces of the ball, um, you know, re- referees keeping flags in their pockets. You know, everybody has luck to get to the national championship game. Um, but, you know, I, I just think that, you know, they've had the talent to be, you know, a, a eight, nine, ten win program the whole time that Gus has been there. And, you know, certainly I think what he did in 2013, you know, skewed the results a little bit. But, uh, you know, you, you saw the five coaches depart. Uh, you know, during the off season, um, if, if you haven't watched the, uh, you know, anybody listening, if you haven't watched the Miss Mitch Mustaine documentary um, that's out there on Netflix, um, watch it and and listen to, uh, you know, his commentary uh, about you know Gus Malzahn being you know quote unquote his father figure because he didn't have one. Uh, and, oh, by the way, um, that's who talked him into going to Arkansas when he had the opportunity of going to Notre Dame. And when Gus got the, the offensive coordinator job at Tulsa, uh, Mustaine never even got a phone call from him to say he was leaving. Um, I think you can paint the picture um, of what's going on down there. And, 
you know, they've struggled to keep um, homegrown talent in their own backyard. You know, obviously the, the flip of Reuben Foster uh, when he was at Auburn High School is well documented. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, having a guy like Rashawn Evans, whose father was a former Auburn football player, his mother has three degrees from Auburn, um, you know, both going to Alabama and tomorrow around lunchtime. Uh, you know, a guy that's been leaning to Auburn for the last two years that I would have told you last week was a 100% lock to commit to Auburn, uh, you know, right up underneath their noses in Phoenix City, Alabama. Uh, Markel Benton is going to commit to Alabama. And, you know, if you can't keep homegrown talent home, um, it puts you behind the eight ball. I mean, that'd be the equivalent of, you know, Nick Saban losing a four- or five-star prospect uh, you know, from from the city of Tuscaloosa, and when was the last time you saw that happen? Exactly. I mean, uh, William, uh, that, and I'm glad you brought up Mark L. Benton. He will be committing at noon tomorrow at uh, Phoenix City High School, and all the buzz all week has been that Alabama had been making headway, and it looks like after his camp performance uh, that uh, he will be uh, committing to the University of Alabama. And then uh, that means that they'll probably take a couple of more linebackers maximum because uh, they already have Vandarius Cowan and Gary Johnson, who is an outstanding player. I know he's one of the best JUCOs you've ever seen on film. Uh, now it'll be interesting to see, William, uh, who they're, who, if they take a couple more linebackers. We know they like the young man from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, who's a big-time LB. But I, you, I, I really like Monty Rice, too. And I know there's a he worked out for the coaches this week. He impressed them, but uh, I know uh, from what you've heard, uh, he he still needs to come out and uh, perform his first three games to get the green light. Well, I, I don't want you to think I'm being confrontational, Drew, but uh, you, you just absolutely soft sold Gary Johnson to your listeners. Uh, he's not only. Uh, the best junior college linebacker in the country this year. He's the best linebacker, period, and probably the best overall inside linebacker prospect. I've seen uh, Nick Saban evaluate and have an opportunity to get since he's been at Alabama. I mean, this kid, uh, you know, is somewhere between the 225, 230-pound range. Um, you know, ran a, a legit 4 4 uh, back in the spring, you know, when I'm having a bad day, uh, you know, when I think, you know, Hillary Clinton's going to be the next president, if I get a registered letter from the IRS <laughs> telling me about money that I owe, um, you know, I just nice. punch myself in the face and put in Gary Johnson's film. And the next thing you know, I'm having a good day. <laughs> he is a very good player. There's no question about it. And he, I know he recently visited uh, for the first time, had a, had a great visit, and they're trying, they're, and they're wanting to continue to firm him up, and he will be a uh, early enrollee. And ironically, he spent his senior year over here in North Alabama at Douglas High School, but he was injured part of that time, and as he said, didn't have the academics. But he's certainly uh, getting his academics together uh, at Dodge City, and as you said, the film uh, just doesn't lie. He has a chance to come in in the spring and earn a starting position. And uh, and if this linebacker core, you know, Ben has ability. He still needs to, you know, I think, uh, st- you know, do uh, do the right things every down, down in, down out, play hard every snap. 
but I still think he has some some talent. And then, of course, uh, Vandarius Cowens was considered a five star. And then Monty Rice, he's uh, two, around 230 pounds, can run a four six. I think he'll earn the green light on that offer uh, after the first three games from the Tide staff. And uh, and as you and I have talked about, that's as good a defense as there is. There could be three Alabama offers, one from every level of that Jets defense uh, come uh, in the next uh, few weeks, William, with what we already know about LeBron Ray. Uh, many people think he was the best prospect at the camp this week, the defensive end, Monty Rice, the linebacker, and then uh, the one that's uh, kind of uh, exploded on the scene after this week, Kyrie McDonald, uh, the, the defensive back from the Jets. Yeah, and I think, you know, I don't know if this is something that I've shared with the, with the listeners, you know, when I've been on this show before, but I think it's worth revisiting if I have. Um, you know, ever since, you know, Nick Saban took the job in 2007, um, you know, they've kind of had an ongoing philosophy on the coaching staff, um, you know, from a recruiting class standpoint, that they feel like they need to sign four guys they feel like are slam dunk uh, first-round draft picks in every recruiting class to continue to compete at the level that they've obviously shown, um, you know, over the last nine years. Um, And, you know, if you you go back and you look at the classes, obviously there was a little bit of a dip in 2010 and 2011. But they feel like – and, you know, these are all guys that – possibly end up being rated five-star guys. But, you know, in this 2017 class, um, which some on the coaching staff thinks is going to be the most talented class that Nick Saban has ever signed, if, if you know, four guys being slam-dunk first-round draft picks is the barometer, they think they're going to get six or seven guys in this class that fall into that mold. So, that kind of gives you some insight into, um, you know, what the coaching staff thinks about this. Um, You know, a lot of the guys on the staff were not expecting a national championship last year, that they kind of thought it was a, you know, a rebuilding year. Um, And they kind of felt like they stole a national championship last year, which, you know, more power to them. I'm glad they did. But what they've been pointing to, uh, you know, kind of going back to 2013 was from the 2016 season to the 2019 season, they felt like they were going to reload and have the opportunity to win. In fact, I had one coach tell me, uh, bro, if we don't win two national championships from 16 to 19, we should all be fired. <laughs> so that gives you some insight into – what they think they've already got on campus versus what they're bringing in recruiting-wise and how they're going about their approach to, you know, the the 16, 17, 18, 19 seasons. Absolutely. Well, William, man, we always appreciate the insight. Uh, You've given us a good 45 minutes of your time tonight. We uh, had a quick first hour of BAMS Radio uh, Jamar King had a phone issue. We couldn't get him on with us uh, tonight, but we will continue to effort with that. Uh, but still, great stuff, great info, and we always appreciate uh, you uh, becoming on BAMS and, of course, becoming a permanent member of this radio program. Uh, and thank you, man. Really, really uh, enjoyed it tonight. 
Hey, guys, I appreciate it, and I always look forward to, uh, you know, getting a chance to talk to you. Absolutely. Have a good night, man. And uh, that's William Redfish Barger. We are going to uh, take our first break of the show, take a, uh, just a few minutes to kind of recharge the batteries and queue up the Haley McClenney, uh interview that you need to hear, one of the all-time great softball players in the history of Alabama uh, softball and the Crimson Tide program under Pat Murphy. We'll have that for you in a few minutes, but we're going to step away give us, and uh, be back with you here on BAMS Radio on this Thursday night. tonight thursday uh, with thomas watts we want to thank william redfish barger for joining us for some tide talk again we apologize uh, for the snafu with jamar king it could not be helped everyone knows cell phones have a mind of their own 
tone, and uh, we'll get back with Jamar and have him on the program before he enrolls at Alabama so he can tell your story, his story to you as listeners. Uh, he's a fascinating guy, and we look forward to hooking up with Jamar. And, you know, it's live radio. It happens. You just kind of have to roll with it, and William did an outstanding job as always. And speaking of that, now what we wanted to do for you as uh, for this audience, we know – uh, the Tide fans are passionate, uh, especially about football. It's always going to be number one, but uh, they're passionate about greatness. And speaking of that, uh, she, in my opinion, the, this young lady coming up, is one of the greatest female athletes in the history of this state. She, of course, prepped at Mortimer Jordan High School in Morris, Alabama, suburb of Birmingham, and uh, was a state champion in high school. Uh, her, her and her teammate, Danae Hayes, went on to, to have very good careers in Alabama, but hers was more than very good. It was transcendent, and uh, now hopefully she'll get a chance soon when they, if the Olympic Committee wises up and reinstates softball as an Olympic sport to win a gold medal for the U.S. But I wanted to bring this conversation I was able to have, along with uh, my colleague Hannah Stevens, with uh, Haley McClenney, uh, who, in my opinion, again, I'll say it, along with Kelly Kretschmann, another fellow Olympian, is one of the two greatest softball players of all time in Crimson Tide history. We wanted to bring you that conversation tonight on BAMS Radio. Uh, we're going to go to the Neighbors Wealth Management Hotline uh, to Haley McClinney, who is now with us. And uh, again, she just wrapped up a storied career for the University of Alabama, a four-year starter and All-American in center field for the University of Alabama from Mortimer Jordan High School. And we are honored to be joined by her now. Haley, how are you doing this morning? Good morning, Haley. Good morning. I'm doing incredible. How are you guys? Doing well. And first of all, we want to congratulate you on uh, your storied career at the University of Alabama, both on the field and off. Uh, hey, I know you, uh, it was disappointing to to not win that national championship. But what we uh, what, and what we have uh, felt though is it was so much more than that for you. As far as a national championship would have kind of been icing on the cake, but for you it was the experience of being at the University of Alabama and uh, and uh, and just transcending not just the sport. Uh, itself, but just what you accomplished off the field and just as an all-around person. Yeah, I, you know, I, I couldn't be more thankful for the time that I had at Alabama. And, you know, all that on-the-field stuff is, is very wonderful. Um, but, you know, I'm more proud of, you know, the incredible people that I got to be around on a daily basis, um, the sisters that I now have for life, um, and just the incredible family atmosphere that I was so fortunate to be a part of. Really, really changed me as a person, and um, I can't thank Coach Murphy, uh, Coach Allie, Steph, and uh, and Adam for just all the the work that they put into me as, as a human being, not just as a softball player. And that's something that I'm going to take with me. Um, it's going to last a lot longer than any national championship trophy ever will. You know, Haley, and um, when you look back, you know, I know obviously you're talking about Murphy and what he's been able to do. Same with Coach Alley, but I think one of the coolest things, um, obviously I had the opportunity to get, your, to get to know your mom and dad at every single game. Your dad's very known for wearing his awesome uh, hats, cowboy hats, the game. But he was just telling me some really cool stories about when you were a kid, you know, when he would set you up on trampolines and help you get over your fear of diving. And uh, talk about that and how that really helped you going in uh, to playing Alabama. Yeah, well, my dad has always been uh, probably the most influential person in my life, uh, from the very beginning, you know, I was around sports from the moment I was born. My dad was uh, a high school coach at Warrior High School um, back in the early 90s, and um, 
every day you go home after work and we would we would play some sort of sport. It, it was basketball. It was it was sandlot baseball in the backyard. Um, we would throw a football. You know, just anything. And he saw, I guess, something early on in me, um, talent-wise. But you know, he never forced anything out of me, and that's what you know I want. Especially any parents listening in on the show, I really want them to understand that is. My dad never made me go out in the backyard. My dad never made me play a sport. I asked. Um, I wanted to play. I wanted my dad to be out in the backyard. I would bug the absolute crap out of him whenever he got home from work after a long day. Coaches football practice until 7 o'clock at night. You know, here's seven-year-old Haley who's <laughs> ready to go, wanting um, to play baseball in the backyard. And, and he, he never said no. Um, anytime that I wanted to go out and play, he never said no. Um, but it was it was something that I wanted to do. Um, he, he allowed it to happen. He did not force it to happen. Um, and I am so incredibly thankful for that because the the instincts that I have um, that I rely heavily on um, are all from him, you know. And he's been such uh, an important part of my life, um, both on the field and off. He's a great dude. And, um, you're going to see him in a lot of baseball games. Because, you know, my little brother committed to play baseball at Alabama, yep. and he'll be in there in the fall. So, um, Cowboy has still going to be around, <laughs> my mom with her two little baseball hats will be around. <laughs> And, and Haley, I wanted to relay this message to you, and I know this is going to mean a lot to you because of the legacy that you left, and you you talked about that in the uh, in your comments and, and kind of referenced those uh, in Oklahoma City. But a good friend of mine has a daughter that's uh, she's uh, coming up in, in recreational softball, and she's got a chance to be a really good player. But she's uh, been to your camp many times and been around the, the young ladies on the team, including yourself, and. He sent me a very heartfelt message because he just told me to, to relay to you that as a dad, that he can't thank you enough for being the fine example of what a student athlete is supposed to be and how much he appreciates the example you are for softball girls, not just for his daughter, but for all over the state of Alabama. And uh, that, I know that has to mean a lot to you, especially as a native of this state and helping uh, grow softball so much. Yeah, that, that means the world. Um, wow, I mean. I can't really even put into words. Um, you know, all all I ever wanted to be was a role model in, in whatever I did. And I know that a lot of those on our team feel the same way. Um, we're a team full of 18 role models. I can say that about every single person um, that I played with this year and, and the three years um, earlier before that. Um, nothing but role models come out of Alabama program. And, um, you know, that to say, to think that, that I have had, you know that big of an impact in, in someone's life that means more to me than than any trophy or anything like that ever will um that i mean that's a dream that, that's honestly a dream come true for me just to know that that i'm what someone looks up to um that's that's special that's awesome uh Haley, you know talk, go on that topic you know for a minute i think one of the coolest things about you is your ability to use this platform, you know, obviously to glorify God, but also just impact other, you know, youth. And, you know, that's just really cool to see you progress and how you've stayed humble and how you've continued to, you know, use this platform. So just kind of talk about that and talk about how, you know, you continue to play USA softball this year. Obviously you're going to be on the team of Jackie again. Just talk about how you will continue just to use this platform and hopefully just continue to impact younger girls in the softball community. Yeah. Um, 
you know, that, I think that's, that's the thing that I hold most dear to my heart is, is trying to impact other people. You know, from my very first team meeting ever had in Alabama, um, Coach Murphy brought the whole team in, in our meeting room. And the first thing he said was, the sooner you figure out it's not all about you, the better off you're going to be. And that has resonated with me the past four years of my life. Um, I, I've, I've just made a choice to take attention away from myself um, because I've found that I'm a lot happier when the people around me are happier. And if I can do something, or there's little things or big things, you know, if it's going to make the people around me smile, it's going to make me feel a lot better. Um, and that's going to give me, you know, the, the biggest amount of peace and joy and love. I think that's what it's all about, you know. It's, softball is, is, is what we do, not who we are. And, um, you know, what, who we are is way more important. Um, and, and you can look, you know, in the lives of other people that, that you've impacted. And that, that's where you're going to find your true value to me. Um, and, you know, I do plan on starting a foundation. Um, I'm in the works with getting an idiot and all that fun stuff right now. But um, I do want to start a foundation just to give back to um, the community that meant so much to me in my life. Um, the Morris, Bartdale, Kimberly Warrior area. Um, I, you know, the state of Alabama and softball have formed a bond that I don't think is ever going to be broken. Um, to watch softball take off in the state was the, the best, probably one of the best parts of my four years in Alabama because um, little girls and little boys too. I mean, I got I have more boys in my autograph line after getting than girls sometimes. Huh. Um, you know, it it's just amazing. It's just amazing how much the sport has grown um, and what incredible people that we have in this sport. Incredible role models, incredible people. Um, I'm just, I'm really, really fortunate and blessed to be um, a small part of a really, really bigger picture. Um, and, you know, I, I, I couldn't be more thankful, more grateful than I am right now. You know, when you said that uh, the, that was a perfect segue to what I want to talk about next, you know, obviously the state of Alabama has just exploded in the softball world. And I want to give you credit because you were the person that hooked me up with the interview with Morgan Estelle, Auburn softball player. She played with you and Danae um, in high yeah. school. And that just kind of ta- that just kind of shows just how, you know, softball is so much more than, a, you know, just a game. It is a family. You know, you have uh, – friends you went to high school with, and even friends all over the country. You know, I've been seeing, especially when NCAA obviously tweeted your emotional answer, players all over the country, including Florida, like, you know, they were all just so amazed and, like, they were just so supportive. So talk about that and what it is like just to have such a tight-knit community in the softball world. Yeah, I mean, the softball world is is probably one of the smallest worlds in all sports. Um, You know, just you play travel ball with these girls um, all throughout high school. And then you play against them in college. You play with them in college. Um, it, it's it's really really special. And um, you know, Morgan Estelle and what she did at Auburn. That I mean, she can have a much better career than she did to to help turn that program around. Um, and now the new Clint Myers era is, is just taking off. It's, it's great for the state of Alabama. Um, really happy I got to play softball with Nate Hayes for um, 10, 11 years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I mean, that's something that, that's so special to me. Um, but, I, you know, I have a lot of teammates that did a lot of great things. I told teammates, Blair Johnson, Alyssa Lynn, both had stellar careers at South Alabama. Um, Heather Parker, 
um, went to Wallace State Community College and then finished up at Lipscomb, had an incredible career. Um, and then Morgan and Danae, um, obviously, who both had incredible careers as well. So, um, And then just playing with the national team and, and meeting all those people from, you know, from Florida, from LSU, from from Georgia, from Missouri. I mean, it, it's special. It's special. And, you know, I think we all, as a collective unit, want to see the game grow and we want to see the game take off. Um, and, and we're doing everything we can in our power to help to help that change facilitate. And, you know, I, I think you've seen some major growth in the past few years. I mean, I saw some TV ratings not too long ago where SEC, SEC softball time and outnumbered uh, women's basketball and baseball viewers. I mean, that, that's, that's insane. That just shows you how much growth this sport has. And I know the Women's College World Series last year had, like, twice as many ratings as uh, the Baseball World Series. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, it, it's special. It's, it's only going to get better from here. The best is still yet to come to the sport of softball. Um, and I'm excited, um, you know, with what the future holds. I think everyone is. And, Haley, uh, I wanted to say uh, you, I'm glad you brought up Danae Hayes. We spoke with her yesterday, and she talked about uh, knowing you since she's 12 years old. And uh, she spoke, so, of course, so highly of you as a person and said no matter what you were going to do, you were going to do it to the highest level. But it also speaks to uh, what a great teammate you are. Of course, she talked about playing alongside you, but she also talked about you helping her academically and just being uh, there for her as a friend. And uh, I know that has to mean a lot to you because, as you said, you've known her uh, for as long as anyone and played with her uh, throughout your career on almost every level. Yeah, I mean, Danae is uh, Danae's one of my best friends. Uh, we still talk all the time. Still, I saw her a lot this past year. I thought she was going to finish it up uh, her school. And, um, you know, we have, been, we have been through everything together. I mean, we started out as, as literal babies. I mean, just coming up through middle school ball and high school ball. And um, we watched each other grow. And I think that's probably the most special thing about our friendship is that, you know, I got to watch Danae grow into an amazing human being. Um, you know, she was always the class clown, uh, you know, always making jokes. One of the funniest people I've ever, ever been. I still think she did have her own stand-up comedy show. Um, and just to watch her, watch her mature, to watch her, uh, to graduate college, um, and watch her impact a lot of kids in our community, um, I couldn't be more proud of the person that she is and, you know, everything that she's done for, for Morris, for Kimberly, for whatever we're going to high school, for the University of Alabama, and whatever she decides to go into next, I, you know, I have no doubt that she's going to impact so many lives. Um, just because, that, you know, that's who she is. And she has one of those incredible personalities that you're just, you're just drawn to her, and you want to be around her. And that's a very, very special quality. And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate her friendship so, so much. You know, Haley, when you look back at your time in Alabama, you know, just I know there's so many awesome moments that you look back and like, man, that's that, you know, I feel like when you go throughout college, you're like, okay, I'm going to remember this moment. This is the best moment ever. And then the next game, you're like, okay, this is the best moment ever. You know, you just keep having them. And just share a few of your favorite memories, whether it's, uh, you know, Patrick Murphy came on the show a few weeks ago and he was saying how whenever he's bringing new girls in the program, he always likes to cook their favorite meal. You know, talk about just some of your favorite moments in Alabama that you'll never forget. Yeah, um, you know, playing in the World Series, I think, is special. I to go three years in a row. Um, just some memories associated with that. Um, getting a charter private flight 
uh, from stuff with the airport. Um, you know, it's little things like that. I think that that means a lot to me. Uh, going a little series, the bus ride, um, <laughs> the you know eight eight ten hour trip that we took from you know we we drove to Baton Rouge. We, I remember driving back from Kentucky at one point. Um, just bonding with my teammates. Um, that's always something I all trust in my heart. Um, you know, and, and super regionals last year uh, against Oklahoma. I don't I don't know if there's honestly ever been a moment in college softball history that was as incredible as, as that moment when Marissa Roy hit that grand slam. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that was probably the favorite moment of my career. Um, and, you know, I wasn't even on day 30. I was literally in the second. I, I, was, <laughs> I was a spectator at that point. Um, and, and that was my favorite moment of, of my entire career. Um, to watch her struggle in that series and then come up so close, that was amazing. Uh, the When Peyton Grant hit the walk-off home run against Nebraska, in 5 years since he took the LSU job and came back because he just could not leave Alabama and I I wanted to see if you could put into words because it's become uh, really the best softball environment in the country at the Rhodes House 9 years in a row leading the nation in attendance and setting the all-time record this year can you just for our listeners what was it like playing there at your home games and in, in, in that environment yeah, well, I said in my first game press conference that, that Alabama's the best place in the world. And uh, I say by that, that was not just an emotional comment after we got beat by LSU. Um, Alabama is the best place in the world. Um, I've been fortunate enough to play in many different countries. I've played in Japan. I've played in Italy. I've played in the Netherlands. I've played all over Europe uh, with the national team. And, and there is no there is no place like Alabama. Um, the the thing that, that we average over 3,000 fans a game at a at softball game, like that, that's unheard of. That's unprecedented. If, it, if I was being recruited right now, like how can I say not Alabama? I'm an instant celebrity when I walk on campus. It's, no one has that. No one even comes close to that. Um, and it, it speaks volumes to the type of program that we run um, because people want to watch us, and I think that's, that's really special because, you know, if we were, you know, divas and, and titles and, you know, all that stuff, like you see in a lot of college sports nowadays, people wouldn't come. But we interact with our fans. We appreciate our fans. Um, we know that, that we can't do anything that we do without them and their support. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're genuine people. And I think that's what people appreciate, and that's why we're setting all these records with attendance. Is people appreciate the type of people that we are, not just the players that we are. Absolutely. Do we have some of those talented kids in the country? Absolutely. But so do a lot of other programs. We set ourselves apart by how we act off the field. 
and, and the type of young women that, that we want to be. And the numbers prove that. You know, um, we, we can back that up with, you know, averaging 3,000 fans. I don't know what that would be in a college baseball like ranking, but I, I know it's got to be up there because, um, you know, three, this is, I got, I've gotten so accustomed to seeing 3,000 people that it doesn't even like bathe <laughs> me anymore. It's incredible. It's just, you know, um, it's something that, that I never wanted to take for granted. And, um, and, and, and you really can't put it into words how much all those people just mean to you and how, how special of a place they have in your heart. You know, Haley, what were, you know, Patrick Murphy's words to you? You know, like, I know, obviously, so incredibly proud of you for what you've accomplished, but also more, like, you know, I know y'all have a very tight-knit relationship. You know, obviously, he's very close with all of his players. He becomes, like, a family member. So just talk about words he gave you as you continue to embark in your future, um, obviously playing Team USA, but also as you be, just keep going into the world. What was his advice to you? Yeah, um, well, I think probably one of the – the easiest things I can tell you is uh, when the All-Americans were announced, uh, he, he wrote me a note. He didn't you know, make a big deal about it on the team or anything. He wrote me a note, a simple little note with a two little elephant on it, and it said, um, Halo, I'm so proud of you uh, for being, you know, the sixth, I think, uh, four-time All-American in program history. Um, which, you know, I was taken away by that he would take the time to just write a note to me. But at the end, he said, always remember I'm more proud of the person that you are than the player that you are. Mm. And and that struck a chord with me. Like, I, I mean, it was before we even played a game at the World Series, and um, I was emotional. Like, I, I sat in my hotel room, and I, I teared up. I mean, honestly, who says that? Like, what coach says that? You know, I, I was overwhelmed with, with uh, just gratitude. And, I, and the lessons that he taught me off the field – mean so much more to me than any of the ones that, that I've learned on the field. Sure, I became a better player, um, and all those stats stuff and the school records and all that, I mean, that's awesome. But he, he made me a better person. He, he allowed me to impact others. He, he changed my life so I could change other people's lives. Um, and, and that's rare nowadays in, in our culture. Um, and especially in college athletics, it's very, very rare because people are so performance-driven. And I know females, we just we want to please everyone. And, you know, we want to do all these great things on the field. But to know that I could have been, I could have been a 100th lifetime hitter and I could have not started a single game in my four years. And I can say confidently that every single person on the staff and every single one of my teammates would have loved me just the same. And that... It's something that I will never forget, and that's something that I want to relay to other people because that kind of love and that kind of support can change your life because it 100% changed mine, and um, I, I'm better for it. I'm better as a human being. I'm better as a student. I'm better as an athlete because of my time at Alabama, and it starts at the top. You know, it starts with Bill Battle and Marie Robbins. And it definitely starts with Coach Murphy and Coach Allie and Steph and Adam. Just everyone associated with our program. Um, we have a great, great group of people. You know, obviously, Haley, one of the coolest things I think in softball right now is the chance that it may become an Olympic sport again. You know, I think that's something that that was a big talk during the Women's College World Series is just how much that would mean for the softball community. Yeah. So talk about that and talk about what that would mean if it did become an Olympic sport again. 
I mean, it's a, it's a dream come true, you know. We, we, with the national team, that's always talked about the past few years, you know, is what can we do to grow the game? What can we do to get it back to the Olympics? Um, and, you know, for, for me personally, that's been my dream since I was five, six years old. I want to be an Olympian, and I want to be an Olympic gold medalist. Um, to know that I might actually have that chance, um, it's, it's incredible. And the work that we've all put in with Team USA, and even in the Pro League, too, with all the attention that that's got softball, um, you know, it's, the Olympics is the highest stage of all sports. So why would you not include softball and baseball? I don't understand that with how, with how big that it is. Um, the numbers speak for themselves, you know, and we're going to get what looks like hopefully to be the biggest stage in softball back. appreciate you joining us it's been an outstanding conversation and and we all are hoping that they do reinstate softball as a olympic sport because everyone associated in this state would be very emotional to see you uh, reach your goal to be an olympic gold medalist you deserve it and i wanted to say uh, the early comment i had for you from the father of well drew that was uh that was a heck of a conversation and uh yes it it was with you know and again uh with a transcendent athlete now uh softball has just grown in popularity and exploded in the last decade uh but trust me this is if you were equating who what Haley McClinney and her career it would be along the lines of a Herschel Walker or Bo Jackson of her sport that's how good the young lady is she was a four-year starter at Alabama and Thomas her her bat her career batting average uh, and she's not a slapper. She has power. She has 27 home runs in her career. She hit 447 in four years at Alabama, and is the, Ted the best improved. center fielder that I've ever seen defensively. And if you're an Olympian in that sport, that means you're the best of the best. And that's what she is. And a good friend of mine, Freddie Kirby, has been in the softball recruiting business for over a decade. He still says she is the best player he has ever evaluated, and he's evaluated a bunch of them throughout the entire Southeast. And uh, she lived up to the hype, and then some. And she and, the, and the, the key thing about it is she is an even better person than she is player. Well, no it, question about it. It, it, that it. If there was ever that question being there, uh, that conversation pretty much did away with it. But uh, yeah. Sam is going to miss her, but more power to the young lady as she moves forward. I'll uh, I'll, I'll keep a weather eye because that, that that's a very I'm curious. I'm curious. You, know, you like to see the Alabama folks move on and do well, obviously. Absolutely. Well, we are uh, expecting John Garcia Jr. here shortly. He generally calls in to us unless I've got my show my rundown completely messed up. So he'll be able to tell us more about the. Uh, the recently finished Alabama camp that uh yes he will he has a huge notebook up uh on scout.com uh Thomas and we look forward to hearing from John and uh having him uh 
uh, having uh, him uh, on the show. To, and I think he even has an update on Jamar King, who we were efforting to reach tonight and who had some cell phone issues. But uh, for it, Jamar looks like he will be at Alabama. It just looks like it may not be uh, into uh, in, uh, in, in, uh, until August. So we will find out. We'll get that from John. But I know he's been all over the camp uh, situation at Alabama that was there from Sunday to Wednesday. And uh, we look forward uh, to John uh, coming on with us on BAM's radio tonight and uh, giving us an update on that camp. And a lot of talent, as always, uh, talent-laden uh, group for Coach Saban and the staff uh, that uh, came to work out in front of the Alabama coaches. They'll have another one uh, in July, another elite camp. And also in mid uh, in mid-June later this month, we'll have the vaunted OLDL camp with Brent Key, uh, Mario Cristobal, and also uh, now Carl Dunbar, who is uh, uh, in charge of the defensive line. So we look forward to that and uh, having John Garcia uh, give us a uh, update on uh, uh, in uh, in uh, in uh, in just a couple of minutes here on Bams Radio. He's always a a foremost guy. Uh, to give us uh, always on top of the situation, Thomas. Absolutely. And I wanted to say there, there's a decent chance that we'll actually be able to get one of the coaches that's going to help run the OLDL camp on BAMS radio. I'm not going to, yes, not, not going to spoil anything else. Not going to put that coach on the spot. Don't, don't want to, don't want to say anything until I get that confirmation, but uh, there's something in the works. So we, we, we could get a firsthand look at a couple of Bama coaches that are pretty new. But uh, let me work on Garcia. And uh, what, what, do you, what do you expect, Alabama? You know, do you expect more commits to come out of this camp? The, uh, we'll ask this to John, but I want to ask you, uh, Drew. Do you expect more commitments to come out of this camp run, or are we, are we going to be much like a couple of years ago where it was rushed when the actual senior season for uh, – these kids starts what do you think about that well i think there's they've set the groundwork to get some more they got a couple uh that was not surprised uh and i, I think that, the, that more will be to come uh, i think uh, no question about it i think alabama has a chance to they got elliot baker uh, they do the junior college offensive lineman and then the surprise there's always some surprises mac jones uh, committed and flipped from Kentucky to be the second quarterback, but they, they, you always, you, you know, people want the instant gratification. But what these camps also do, and I know John will uh, enlighten us on that as well, but they it lays the foundation to get commitments in the future. And uh, I think uh, a lot so because of some of these kids, they uh, want to wait uh, and maybe announce uh, later in the process. Some do it at the Under Armour game, but some of them also want. Uh, to do it uh, right before their senior season, or they want to uh, take you. They want to. They want to work with their teammates the rest of the summer and do it. Uh, you know, and maybe at the opening, uh, something like that. I do think uh, Markel Benton doing well uh, at the uh, at Alabama's camp this past week, uh, and now he's uh, going to commit tomorrow. I think that may have had something to do with it. He's decided he wants to come uh, to the University of Alabama, so uh, I think uh, he's another one. Uh, that uh, with uh, it would has that may have uh, that where he, the groundwork was laid and then he and he and he really it's kind of surprising because he had been considered a uh, an Auburn lean for the last uh, really couple of months but now we do have John uh, on the hotline with us here on Bams Radio John I know it's been a busy one for you sir I know uh, you've had 
thousands of words being typed on BamaMag.com trying to update the readers and now coming on with our listeners. We always appreciate that. Uh, as always, camp season for uh, the recruiting uh, industry is uh, information-packed. Yeah, it's, it's almost, you know, we write these summaries and have these notes and ongoing updates for the consumer, but really it's a cheat sheet for us to just keep up with it ourselves because there's so many <laughs> names, right. like you said, so many scenarios, kids getting offers, kids committing, you know, freshmen getting offers. I mean, it's just it, it kind of just goes on and on. You can really go on as long as you'd like about it. So it's really just a way for us to keep up, uh, and that's just part one of, of the summer circuit. So, uh, so far, so good, I think. Well, and I wanted to ask you really quickly, we were talking about Markel Ben. He will commit uh, at uh, tw- noon, uh, I believe it is. Is it going to be noon central time at, uh, at uh, the high school time. tomorrow? Eastern time. Eastern, so it'll be 11 Central? Yeah, yeah. Central Phoenix City's right on the border of the time zone there, so they usually okay. roll with Eastern time. So they, I know that because I, I was going to a game there one time, and I showed up uh, just before 7 Central, and, and sure enough, uh, they were calling it an 8 o'clock kickoff. So, um, yeah, that's how they roll yeah. over there. And it makes sense. They're right on the border there with Georgia, so you got to cater to the community. Absolutely, and his his recruitment has been interesting lately. A lot of people thought, and I thought, I think his Twitter uh, profile pic still has him in Auburn gear, but a lot of people thought he was a lock for Auburn. Uh, it, but the buzz seems to have be, seems to be with Alabama in the last couple of weeks. Uh, what are you hearing at scout.com about what he might do tomorrow? Yeah, it's much of the same, Drew. You know, he's one that's been interesting because Everyone has assumed a lot about him, but he's never really publicly came out and said anything about a leader, really, ever. I mean, he's mentioned a top group for the last year that has mentioned some way, shape, or form of Alabama, Auburn, Florida State. Georgia's sort of been in and out. Mississippi State, which has signed some of his teammates recently, has been sort of in and out. But really, Alabama, Auburn, Florida State have been the only consistent with his group throughout the entire couple years that he's been a high-profile kid. And he's never really separated Alabama and Auburn publicly. So I think a lot of that was just sort of assumption, just sort of going with what you saw. And like you said, some people may click on his Twitter profile, see some orange and blue and say, oh, that kid's going to Auburn. Um, He likes the picture. You know, he showed up for the camp. Our colleague and friend Jason Caldwell got a good shot of him there, and then he's rocking the picture. So I think that's really all that is. I think his recruitment has been close. It really has been between those Iron Bowl rivals as we see so much with the top kids in the state. And I I do think it has fluctuated. But really the last four, five, six months, I think Alabama has been in the driver's seat. The only hiccup there was with every defensive prospect. It was the Kirby Smart situation. There was some curiosity there. But once Jeremy Pruitt became the answer there, and those prospects came back and sat down with Nick Saban and realized, you know what, it's kind of the same situation. All of that worry, whether it was a 2016 kid, a 2017 kid, or beyond, it all sort of went away. Uh, And I think the same was the case for Benton. Uh, And even when he was wearing all that Auburn gear back in March at that Atlanta Nike camp, he was sort of smiling about it, like, yeah, this is just what I'm wearing. You know, he he wanted to play it up a little bit, which is something we've seen a lot with, with top kids in this great state. So I think that was where most of the buzz came from. And, of course, Central Phoenix City, not too far from Auburn. But really beyond that, there was not a lot of tangible links between he and the Tigers. So I think that's helped Alabama. And I think really, like I said, the last six months, the Crimson Tide has been at or or near the top of his list. And I think uh, that has been the trend here 
especially these last several weeks. And John, I wanted I, we tried to get him on tonight, but he uh, had some a snafu. His phone died, uh, and we understand that uh, these cell phones, my cell phone, everybody's. As I told him, I said, Jamar, you know, I got to keep mine plugged in pretty much 24 hours a day. Uh, but uh, we, we, you had an update on Scout.com about Jamar King. He's really now that Kendall Holt Jones is headed to Colin Junior College in Mississippi, uh, the only unaccounted for signee. And uh, can you clarify his situation in a little bit? Yeah, not a whole lot has changed there, Drew. Uh, but, but you know, you read the tea leaves and, and you've been in this business long enough where you see, okay, phase one is, is sort of behind us now. It's, it's all on to option two, phase two, if you will. And that means getting to the next summer session there at Mendocino College in California, getting that final credit and getting up out of there. So we know that next session starts Monday, June 13th. And the earliest he could be done with that is about six weeks from that point. So you're looking uh, at end of July, uh, maybe just into August there. So there's still ample time for him to get that final credit, get to Tuscaloosa. The communication has been consistent from Alabama, from what Jamar and his coaches say. Uh, so it just, it's just looking like that's the more likely scenario. He says the scenario one where, you know, waiting on that final grade, he said it's still up in the air. But you just play the odds there, and you assume that it's much more likely uh, that he ends up having to take that that credit again uh, to get out to Tuscaloosa and finally enroll at the University of Alabama. That's just the trend, uh, although, again, scenario one, not completely out the window just yet. Right, and uh, and, and also uh, you've, you've got uh, some out, outstanding uh, info on scout.com about the camp overall. Uh, and before we kind of get your overview, though, I wanted to talk about the buzz, and I know you've probably heard it as well. Uh, it sounds like, and the, the last time I was hearing these kind of performance accolades was Ronnie Harrison uh, when he blew the camp away as a safety and then became a priority for Alabama and flipped from North Carolina to the Tide. And really, with this young man, I'm hearing even more buzz. Uh, but it sounds like Najee Harris had quite a week or several days in Tuscaloosa. You know, Drew, he, he does that. It's sort of what he does. You know, he doesn't talk to the media much. I texted with him a little bit today, and he was complimentary of his week. But, you know, he just he doesn't get into it as much publicly there. Um, but what he does love to do, Drew, is compete. He loves to put the pads on, or in this case, a helmet, strap it up, and go find out where he stacks up. He's very much aware of everybody around him seemingly at all times, and I think that carries over to the football field. It makes him want to compete in different venues. He's from California. He hasn't competed a whole lot in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, so he was chomping at the bit to get out there. Uh, and when he does, I mean, it, it, it's almost not fair at times because he's he's up to 6'3 now, uh, right around 225 pounds. So you're talking both Scarborough-type size, except – He's as fluid as a receiver. Our, our, our director of recruiting at Scout, Brandon Huffman, went so far as to say if he was just a receiver, he would already be a five-star on Scout.com. So you talk about an athlete and a football player, that's what Najee Harris is. So in these settings, if he's going against a linebacker, it's not fair. It's, just, it's, it's not gassing up Najee's hype or anything like that. It's a fact. It's not fair if a linebacker is covering him. Even the best coverage linebackers – would struggle, a Ben Davis, a Mac Wilson, those guys would struggle every time with a Najee Harris. So this setting is almost too easy for him from that position. But 
he can flex out to wide receiver and be just as dynamic against cornerback. That's where you get into the freakish and the scary and the are you serious conversation, and that's where he is, and that's why he's the number one prospect in America, and that's why every time we see him, we only feel better about that decision we made back in February. It's going to be very hard for anybody to match that because whether you're talking in 2016 where everybody wants to throw the football or you're talking about in 1968 where everybody wants to run the football, he would be lofty and dynamic and a five-star in any one of these eras at any position. Uh, So that's what's scary about it. Uh, We even have talked about him as a potential NFL outside linebacker. That's how good of an athlete, how physical, how twitchy he is. Uh, So he can do pretty much anything he wants to do outside of throwing the football, and he showed that all day in camp. And how, how can you not like a guy who competes every day? And this is not just at Bama. He'll do that if, if he's at, you know, at the backyard with his friends, if he's at a school, if he's at a seven-on-seven, seven, at a camp. Or he'll, he'll be at the opening doing it for the second straight year next month. I mean, anytime there's an opportunity, he wants to, to go see where he stacks up, and, and that's part of the reason he's the number one player in America. Well, and, John, I know this was before you were with Scout, and it was several years ago, but he finished uh, second in the Heisman Trophy voting as a freshman and as is going to be a Hall of Fame running back in the NFL. But uh, as you know, William Redfish Barger is a, a good friend of this show uh, and has uh, become a permanent part of BAM's radio. And he was on earlier tonight. And in, the, in hour number one, he thinks Harris is the best high school running back prospect to come out since Adrian Peterson. Is that accurate for you? You know, I think it can be, and I think the benefit is is these multiple looks on offense because you can see it more. You know, a guy like Christian McCaffrey maybe wouldn't have fit into a power offense 10 years ago, but Najee could at 6'3", 225. He can run with power. We've seen it. You've seen him jump over people, for goodness sakes. But then in today's system, now he can go be a screen guy and go 80 yards every time he touches it. He could probably be a kick returner in the SEC, which is terrifying for a guy that size. So if you're just talking running back uh, and somebody getting their hands on the football, I think he could be the best, you know, touch the football and on quarterback prospect since I've worked at Scout, so for five years. So if you just break him down as a running back, I think that's that's almost an easy assumption at this point. Everything we've seen, again, has checked. The boxes are checked every single time. Shorts and T-shirt, helmet, no gear, full pad, playing against anybody. I mean, nobody can really slow him down consistently. Um, so it's hard to argue that point. And I think if you put him as, as just a running back, uh, it's an easy argument. And I think he is the best running back prospect. It takes a special running back to be the number one player in the 2016 rankings. The position is devalued immensely, and, and it's, it's, it's the same for high school going to college, just like college going to the NFL. It's been devalued. So for him to still be the top guy, I think it tells you all you need to know about his ability now and where it could be in a couple of years. Well, well, then, John, I think there's really only one question to ask. Does Alabama keep Harris as a commit, is, is, how, how hard is that battle going to be going forward? You know, we talked about at the top of the segment, you know, he's not a media guy. He's not a, you know, he doesn't have a Twitter, although there's a, a, an idiot running a fake account uh, claiming to be Najee Harris. He doesn't have Twitter. He doesn't do Facebook. He's not a social guy in terms of 
the typical high school kid. Um, so I think a lot of that is, is how you should approach in looking at his recruitment. If he doesn't present himself that way and he's not tweeting hashtag Roll Tide every day like some Bama commitments are, I think that, that sort of messes with our psyche and makes us think, okay, maybe he's not that solid to Alabama. But since committing over a year ago now, 14 months almost, he's really been very solid to Alabama. Every time he's back in town, he lets the coaches know, I'm coming to Alabama unless something crazy happens. And crazy in this scenario means Saban not on the staff, plus Kiffin, plus Tosh, Lupoy. It'd have to be a scenario where all three maybe would have to be gone, in my opinion, for him to not end up at Alabama. Yes, he's going to take visits. He's been fortunate enough to have a friend who, who can help him get to different places. Uh, he's done so. He's visited plenty of schools. But at the end of the day, it would have to be a paradigm shift for him to not end up at Alabama. His mom signed off on it a year ago. He's been gung-ho about it privately for well over a year now. And he's visited some of the top schools in the country and really hasn't wavered, including Ohio State, including USC, UCLA, Cal, Stanford. The list goes on and on and on. I expect him to continue to take visits, but don't look at him and the solidity of his commitment compared to other guys and how they present it. Look at it as just Najee Harris. And if you do that, you see that he's pretty rock solid to Alabama. You don't spend five days on campus competing every day in front of your future coaches if you're just, you know, so-so about a school. I think that, that shows the commitment he has with Alabama and how much he wants to, to be at Alabama right now if he could. And, John, uh, you've been, uh, you know, in some contact with him and, and, uh, and those I'm sure his inner circle. Uh, there has been a report that he would return to camp in July. Are you hearing that? Yeah, you know, again, he's he has the ability to travel, and, and he's wanted to get to Bama now three or four times this year already, and it, it's it's because of conflicts of interest. You know, he's had a seven-on-seven to participate at. We talked about how much he likes to do that, so he wouldn't sacrifice that to go take a quick unofficial visit, and, and that's why he wasn't in town for A-Day, et cetera. So uh, I do expect him to be back at camp, especially that four-day camp, which is much like the one we just saw go down. Uh, that's what Najee likes to do. Uh, so if Bama's going to host another one, which they are in mid-July, you expect him there. Uh, so that is the expectation right now. And I would carry it over into the season. You expect him to visit two or three more times before all is said and done. And, and as you guys know, anytime you get an elite kid on campus, it's massive for your school, whether he's committed or not, whether he's solid or not. And Najee is solid. So getting him on campus will only further that going forward. So you expect him back next month probably sometime in the early fall, and then for an official visit there later, uh, possibly even in January, before all is said and done. So Alabama's in control of this thing, and Najee's really in control of this thing, and he wants to get to Bama. So, again, all those boxes are checked just like they are with the evaluation of Harris. He just doesn't maybe present it as easy for us to see as he does when he's on the field. And now, John, uh, for our listeners, uh, kind of give an overview of the camp and, and kind of it, what some prospects you're kind of monitoring and watching and who may have really impressed the staff. Yeah, you know, I think you know we get sort of caught up in the new stuff, but I think uh, it's important to point out the confirmed situations in terms of guys who have already been priority targets who came out and looked like, like it all week, like Anaji Harris, like Tua Tagovailoa, the quarterback, like Mac Jones, who solidified his offer with a good throwing session. Uh, and I think that's what, what we really learned. You know, a guy like Devontae Smith, a five-star receiver out of a might 
Louisiana, former Georgia commitment. This guy's skyrocketed up everybody's board, including Alabama's, and he was the dominant wide receiver all week long. I had coaches, prospects, other receivers telling me he was the best guy there um, every single day that he competed, which was over multiple days. So how he just has shown so much, you know, six foot, 280 pounds or so, quick out of his breaks, can high point the football, long arms, just what you want in a, in, in a number one looking receiver. He showed that all week long at Alabama. Same thing uh, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, a guy who doesn't get talked about a lot again, because while he does have a Twitter, he doesn't tweet a whole lot. He's not in the public spotlight a lot. Chris Allen, a guy uh, from Louisiana, Baton Rouge to be exact. You know, Alabama has led for him for a very long time, really several months now, nearly six. Um, But, you know, he doesn't talk about it a whole lot. He came to camp, and and the word freak was associated with that, and that came from more coaches than players. Uh, He's a Jack linebacker prospect, of course, a staple of Alabama's defense. So he confirmed his spot at or near the top of the board at that position. Uh, And then in the secondary, maybe the most interesting guy to compete all week, I would say, Jemias Williams. He's a small corner, 5'9", 170, uh, but don't get fooled by that. He's drawn comparisons for years, really, to Tyron Matthews, the honey badger. He plays with that swagger, that confidence, that physicality, although you look at the height and weight and you say, really, he can do that? Yeah, he can. You know, he does it. He's another guy like Naj. He competes everywhere he goes. Um, and luckily for him, you know, Nick Saban is involved quite a bit with those cornerbacks, and, and he was so impressed by Williams's eagerness to compete technique and, and, and ability to learn on the fly there that he sat him down in his office. This is Saban saying, look, you know, I'm very strict on my height and weight regulations. Everybody, you know, you know the process, that part of that for a DB is, you know, six foot 180 and above. That's, that's what Alabama has targeted over the last decade. Well, now they're targeting 5917. He basically said, you're good enough for me to not stick to my guns on a height and weight requirement. So I think that may be the biggest performance storyline of the entire week, uh, that a guy like that could, could be higher on Alabama's board. And it sort of surprised Jameis. You know, he hasn't been linked to Alabama much. It's been a Clemson-Florida State conversation, but this was his second trip to Tuscaloosa. Um, and then now Saban and Derek Ensley as well are, are very high on him. So any prospect, even if Bama hasn't talked to you in forever, that happens, your automatically kind of light bulb goes off, like, oh, goodness, I need to consider these guys a bit more. So it's already uh, to the point where he said when he comes out with his final group, which is set to happen in about a month, Bama is going to be on that list. So, so again, the power of Alabama recruiting, things can change in such a quick moment for elite guys, uh, and Williams is sort of the latest example of that. Those guys proved and validated where Bama thought they could be on the board. Uh, and then, of course, guys went out and earned scholarship offers as well. Brad Stewart, Trey Shaw, two four-star cornerbacks, so that Nick Saban group was quite busy, both of them out of state, Stewart from Louisiana, Shaw from the state of Georgia. Uh, they went out and earned offers. Uh, of course, the two guys who committed confirmed everything Bama thought on tape, Elliot Baker, the lineman, Mac Jones, as we said, the quarterback, uh, and then some underclassmen guys picked up scholarship offers as well. Uh, Bumper Poole, a 2018 linebacker from Texas, uh, and a guy whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce, a 2019 defensive end from Tennessee who's uh, less than a year removed from being in Nigeria. So a, a football rookie, but obviously a guy who flashed some potential. So you got a little bit of everything from the top performers 
at this Alabama uh, camp. Uh, and, and don't think the news is done with that. Bama filmed everything, so they'll go back now. And there could be some more guys picking up offers as they double-check that tape. A guy like Kendarian Handy Holly, a big-time safety from Jackson High School uh, in South Alabama. Thomas Johnston, also from South Alabama. Those guys, I mm. think, can get closer to a scholarship offer as you recheck that tape. Johnston said Bama really wanted to move him around. They wanted to see how versatile he was because if he was at, to end up at Alabama, he may be asked to move around like a Keith Holcomb has been his first couple of years on campus. So those are the things that camp really allows you to do on your campus, and Jeremy Pruitt worked with him very closely to try to get that done. So the tape could help a guy like that later on. So don't think that the news from this camp is quite over just yet. And, John, I wanted to ask you about that uh, because I was hearing some buzz, and you know I, where I live. I live over here in Huntsville in the Madison area. Uh, we know about um, LeBron Ray. I hear he performed very, very well at the camp. Uh, and he's a priority prospect. Uh, and Monty Rice, he worked out for the coaches. What I'm hearing is he's still being evaluated, and they may be wanting to watch the first three games of his uh, s- senior season before uh, ultimately deciding his future. But another one I've, I've uh, heard uh, impressed Coach Saban, and it goes along your Jameis Williams uh, storyline because he's under six feet tall. But another DB that impressed Nick Saban was uh, Kyrie McDonald, who had eight interceptions last year, John, in his first year starting on the varsity and really kind of exploded the second half of that year. Yeah, he's he's one of the guys. We finally got him three stars at Scout. You know, I've been fighting the, the, the higher-ups there for a long time with him. He's got a lot to like as a DB. As you mentioned, a guy who gets to the football like that, it, it's not luck. It's not fortune. It, it, that's skill. That's uh, awareness and obviously ball skill as well. So uh, that alone will get you uh, ranked highly or, or higher than you were. Um, but he's a guy who can be physical as well, got good length as well, despite not being the tallest guy out there. And he is much bigger than Chaius Williams too. So he's much closer to what you want in today's cornerback. Maybe not an elite sprinter, but again, long arms, good ball skills, that can translate. Now, where a guy like that, I think it gets more interesting from an evaluation standpoint is what kind of corner do you want? You know, Bama forever, under Saban at least, they want guys who can play man. They want, you know, the scrappy corner who can bump you up the line of scrimmage and who can turn and run when need be. So maybe those aren't strengths for McDonald. So that's why you want to evaluate a little bit more. I like what I saw in 7-on-7. Let's get to the pad. Let's see if he can show a little bit more physicality. Let's see if he can turn and run with some of these top receivers in the state of Alabama here as time progresses. Those could be the small determining factors in between a scholarship offer and no scholarship offer from a school like Alabama. So that's what I would want to keep an eye on with McDonald. Can he show those couple of things that maybe haven't been strengths over uh, his last year or so, as you said, despite a breakout season? And I think not only Alabama, but many schools uh, could be higher on McDonald. He's got a great offer list, uh, but it's going to grow. The more he uh, shows his stuff, the more reps he gets. And, and he's one I could see um, being a more coveted guy than his teammate Monty Rice at some point. Um, but, again, that defense is loaded. Uh, all of those guys are SEC-type guys, uh, so they're going to have a really good year and a lot of eyes on them. And, and the status of each of them sort of helps the other to get more eyes on them. So I think McDonald is going to be one of those guys who uh, could threaten to be the top DB in the entire state of Alabama. And that's saying a lot for a guy we, we didn't really talk about a year ago. Yeah, and uh, he, he, he kind of burst on the scene after his brother graduated the year before and walked on at South Alabama. 
I know I talked to one of his coaches that said Florida State really likes him a lot, too. It's going to be fascinating to watch to see how he develops. And, and finally, John, a prospect, Chris Allen from Baton Rouge, the linebacker, heard he had a good camp. I know Alabama has been very interested in him. And now, uh, should Markel Benton commit to the tie tomorrow afternoon, um, that's going to be interesting because Alabama would have three linebackers, Gary Johnson and Vandarius Cowan committed, likely to take four or five. And uh, do you think uh, that Allen is still going to be a priority? I do, Drew. You know, Jack is sort of its own category now, I think, when you when you look at uh, the rankings. Now, Allen can play all four linebacker spots. I think we should put that out there first. Um, but I think his, his top trait – it's his pass rushing ability, and, and that's what Bama likes him as. When you describe somebody as a freak, that's not talking about a guy you want to fill an A gap. That's talking about a guy who can bend and get around the edge and, and affect the, the passer. You know, and that's what Allen does well. That's what he showed once again. I believe he worked out the first day of the camp, which would have been Sunday, uh, and his status has not changed. Now LSU's not going anywhere anytime soon. He he plays on LSU's campus pretty much in high school. So although he says Bama leads, you know it's tough to get a guy out of there. Although a pretty good pass rusher named Tim Williams came from that high school as well. So it's certainly possible under Nick Saban. Um, but again, I think because he's a jack and a pass rusher guy, that it almost gives him his own category. But as you know, Drew, the numbers are tight at linebacker. It's not going to be a huge group. Uh, so that means it could be just one total jack prospect in this entire class. So that's where things can get pretty tricky. But but certainly Allen did not hurt his stock on Alabama's board uh, with his camp performance this week. They've loved him for a long time. Um, they were really impressed in seeing him again. Uh, but this is going to be interesting. Do you take more than one jack? And if you do, or if you don't, excuse me, who gets that top spot? You know, a guy like Robert Beal is high on the list. Um, other guys who are defensive linemen are, are being talked about as Jack, so including an in-state guy like Ryan Johnson who wants to be a stand-up guy and has been working on that for the next level. So that's where I think it gets a little bit tricky is if you're going to take one, who's the one? Uh, it could come down to when you want to decide and things like that. Uh, but, but I don't think the Benton situation will affect Allen a whole lot um, unless – something else changes on that, that Jack linebacker board, which is certainly possible because a lot of kids realize that the proverbial money is that stand-up linebacker hybrid position, defensive end, outside linebacker. That's where the Vaughn Millers of the world have uh, now become the highest-paid players in the NFL. So kids see that, and, and they're starting to adapt to it if, if they're you know 6'3", 6'4", and, and not 300 pounds just yet. So that's going to be an interesting position to evaluate for Alabama, uh, and I, I don't think they take more than one. So Allen could very well be that guy. Yeah, he really could. And Well, John, we always appreciate the time. Uh, you do an outstanding job with Scout. Let everybody know, of course, what you're going to continue to be working on. I know you'll continue to have in, a free flow and information and fall out from the camp and uh, continue to cover uh, this recruiting grind because they've got satellite camps. Uh, you've got the opening coming up in just about a month or so, <laughs> yeah. uh, in a few weeks. Uh, just, it, it just rolls on. And, uh, and, I, and I, you'll also be covering the entire state. But let everybody know about your Twitter feeds and where they can read your stuff, my friend. Yeah, I'll, I will be in Central Phoenix City High School Auditorium tomorrow around lunchtime yes. for Markel Benton's commitment. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll be tracking that all the way through at Scout HS Alabama. He's you know a top three guy in the state regardless of position. So we'll certainly be there for that. Um, yeah, plenty of Bama stuff as well in terms of the University of 
Alabama. Uh, more stuff from this camp. Again, we're going to hear much more from it going forward. It's not ending here just because the camp itself is over. Satellite camps, I think Bama was in uh, a camp in TCU today. They were in Georgia at a different satellite camp. Uh, we'll be <laughs> covering one in Tampa on Sunday. I mean, it's it's literally more than it ever has been. Uh, so we'll be trying to track it as best we can at BamaMag.com, uh, at BamaMag on Twitter, and then yours truly is at John Garcia underscore JR. Absolutely. Well, thank you, John. We appreciate the time tonight. I know it's been super busy for you. Uh, we look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks for joining BAM tonight, my friend. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. It's John Garcia, Jr. of Scout.com, giving us the rundown as Markel Benton will make his announcement tomorrow at Central of Phoenix City High School. Uh, should be quite an event. John will be there live, not surprisingly, to cover that. Uh, at 11 Central Time and 12 Eastern. But we want to thank everyone for joining us on BAM's radio tonight. Uh, William Redfish Barger, thanks to him. Thomas Watts doing a great job manning the controls and helping me uh, tonight co-host the show. John Garcia, Jr., and we hope you enjoyed the Haley McClinney interview. Everyone, enjoy the rest of your evening. I'm your host, Rudy Armand, along with Thomas Watts. Roll Tide. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.